What is up, guys? How's it going? Happy 2022. My name is Anthony Sosa, and this is As An Artist, a local famous records podcast about local artists, their art, the creative process, and the local scene. On this episode, we have Dustin Schneider. Dustin is one half of the award-winning podcast, The Jerry Jonestown Massacre, and a longtime DFW musician and photographer, currently playing with The Spectacle and Uncle Toasty. We had a great conversation. It was, it was almost three hours long. Uh, but in this, in this half of it, well, we discussed you know, what it was like to be a podcaster for over eight years, kind of how that's changed. We talk about uh, his music, the music he's into, the music he's experienced in the past, which was phenomenal to kind of get to see some of those things. Uh, he brought a he brought a binder full of ticket stubs. That was fantastic. Uh, we got to talk about his photography history and his photography techniques and uh, technology as well. And then we kind of uh, also talk about the DFW scene, comparing it from the late 90s and early 2000s to now in our post-COVID days. Additionally, we talk about local politics, and that conversation can be found on the Fort Worth Freedom Re Review. Uh, it was kind of towards the end of this conversation, so I clipped it off, and that'll be released as a separate episode on the Freedom Review. So if you're interested in local Fort Worth politics, feel free to check that out as well. Dustin was a fantastic guest, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. At the end of the podcast, uh, we're going to hear a unreleased track by The Spectacle called Tap the Brakes. So please stick around for that, and I hope you enjoy this wonderful episode of As an Artist. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, check. yeah I like making sure, you know, everything yeah. sounds good. It makes it easier yeah. on you, too. Yeah. So Same. So I don't... So, okay. Because um, it's always annoying when people... This and they move around, they get all uh, yeah. I'm like talking to the mic. <laughs> That's why it's in front of your face. How long have you been podcasting? Um, JJTM is going on eight and a half years in June, high. July. June, July is our anniversary. Okay, I think it's June eighth is our anniversary. June eighth, yeah. And we always kind of try to throw it in there around there, depending on how the show falls. But that's, if I remember correctly, our first show went up June 8th. First okay. live show. We did like five test shows before that. That's awesome. And man. they were crap. That's, well, I mean, you know, whatever. Like the fact yeah. that you did five test shows, like that in itself, I think is pretty awesome. Well, it's like we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do with them. We were like, you know, what? who's going to listen to this? And who wants to hear us? And our idea at the time was completely terrible. <laughs> go to the bar, get drunk, go to the studio at 3 a.m., and record and whatever came out of our mouth came out of our mouth and there was some awful stuff that came out of our mouth so you kind of start deleting stuff <laughs> and you you know those first five shows just didn't last and you go um you know once you get going then you find yourself editing a whole lot of stuff and that's awesome then Do people start listening and you're like oh crap there are people listening to this how did that feel when the first when you first noticed an audience it was very weird. When you show up somewhere you're used to going, because there at the time, there were just a couple of haunts we would uh, run around at. Because all of us, Matt, I'll say, well, Matt, Seth, and I had fallen out of the music scene. Uh, the reason the podcast started is because our band came to an abrupt ending. Okay. And Sorry. what was the name of that band? Uh, I Was Once Eaten. 
we were doing good. We were playing all over the place, having fun. Um, but uh, our drummer hurt his back really bad to the mm-hmm. point that it was pretty much broke. You know, we played a couple of shows with him uh, there at the end, and he was just in pain the entire time. That's you know, rough. a couple of goodbye shows, basically, or, you know, this is going to be the last time we play. And then I had a studio full of crap, all this electronic gear, all this recording gear. It sat empty for a year. And um, I'd go out there every once in a while, but it's kind of depressing when you're when you're going good. Yeah. And the emergency brake is just yanked up. It's yeah. depressing. Yeah, definitely. It, it takes you down. It's like the end of any other relationship, you know. It's like, yeah. It's like breaking up. Yeah. So I didn't really touch my bass, my bass gear, whatever. I mean, there was dust collecting on it out there. I'd go out there once in a while, kind of look around, make sure everything was still there and play with some stuff here and there. Uh, played more with keyboard stuff and, and MIDI stuff than I did anything else. And actually just kind of coming up with weird, different ideas. That's cool. And, you know, then Matt threw out the idea of, hey, we should do a podcast. I was like, eh. I listened to a bunch of podcasts, but really, I mean, what for? You know, why? Who cares? Who's going to listen to anything we do? And um, we tossed around the idea. I went out of town, was listening to Kevin Smith podcast, and he was totally pro for it and just talking for an hour about how easy it is. You just put a microphone on the computer and you go. (laughs) It's not really that easy. But, and at the time, there was no one hosting anything. So it was, I had to do research, but I came back into town that night. I got back in town. I went and met Matt at the bar and I was like, let's do this. Well, let's bring our buddy Seth in too, who I had played in bands with him. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be a a three man deal. And it'll, it'll be great. Okay. And we started it up and you know, it, we're, we're going to bars still. And we're kind of telling people about it, giving them links and stuff. And then before long, people are coming back up and being like, hey, you guys were talking about her. Hey, I got an issue with this. Or you guys are assholes talking about this. Or what do you got against my band? Or why do you hate, you know? And that's when things were like, whoa, people listen to this. And then I never looked at numbers. Yeah. But since I went the hard route and built it all on my server, yeah, my side, I'm not going through a service. I have raw data. I can go in there and look at everything. Interesting. And I've kind of had a a, a career in that background and uh, got in there and started looking at things like, whoa, we went from 10, 20, 50 people listening to six months later, there are 500 and then there's a thousand wow. and then there's 2000 and then. It just kept snowballing. That's awesome. Whoa, this is crazy. But there's no one else. At at the time, there was a guy in North Fort Worth, Jeff Lord. Yeah. And I think. Funky Town. One other cat that was doing something. That was it. So who were you listening to? What is this, 2013? Yeah, around then. Who were you listening to podcast-wise? You said Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith. Um. I listened to, I had listened to a couple of Joe Rogans, but I wasn't big on the whole, at the time, Joe Rogan was very either fight centric, which wears me out. I mean, 
I'll watch a fight, but I don't want to listen to someone talk about all this crap. Yeah. Or weed centric. Yeah. And or psychedelics. Or like psychedelics. And I'm like, yeah. I'm totally cool with that. But every show, come yeah. on, let's yeah, let's move on. And he grew into a good interview. Mm-hmm. I was uh, listening back then too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like it's when Duncan was on there. Yes. And so things were just extremely wild. Duncan and Ari. A yeah. Lot. Yeah. Yeah. So. But Kevin Smith, and then I listen to a lot of tech podcasts. Okay. Um, the whole uh, Twit Network. This week in tech. This week in Mac. Okay. Um, this week in whatever. Um, and then there was. Um, no Agenda, which I've listened to forever, which is Adam Curry and John Dvorak. Okay. They break down media and the bullshit media tries to push off on everything. Interesting. And I I mean they're they get political and they, they turn well, yeah. a lot of people off, but you, you have, know, you when have you're breaking to. down when you're breaking down media that happens, yeah, you gotta have an opinion on things. Absolutely. So I mean the media has an opinion on it. Like yeah. whether you whether we we try to say it's biased, but yeah. I don't know. That's a whole other thing, I suppose. Yeah. It's not like I went to school for media and it's not biased at all. Okay. It's not even back then. So let's so okay, let's do that. Let's go back. So you've referenced you have a career in <laughs> in data or something, right? Like so okay, let's let's before you even got into your education, like what inspired you creatively? Like, do you look at yourself as an artist? Uh, do artists really look at themselves as artists? I don't know. It's a weird you tell thing. Me. Yeah, I guess. Um, the podcast, I don't think that's really art. Okay. I think that's interesting. I mean, me, maybe it is. Maybe it's an art to, to what we do, but it's very, I, it's just thrown together. Sure. sure. <laughs> as much as I say that, I'm I'm serious about the podcast. Yeah. It has kept me up at nights. I love it. Um, I've spent a lot of time on it, obviously, mm-hmm. and have, you know, try to make sure it's a good product for everyone and it's easily reachable by however means. Like if someone says, man, I wish I could watch you guys on YouTube at work. Well, okay, let's fire up a YouTube stream. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish I could get you on this. Uh, streaming app. Okay, here you go. You know, I try to make yeah. it. Yeah, you do. You I guys care do. About it. You do. You guys cover all the bases. You, you really. From that's a, a lot of effort. Yeah, that goes into technology that. aspect. I try to make it available because I do care. Yeah. Um, but then there's the attitude of like we really just really don't care about it. You know, so it's, <laughs> so it's thrown out there. Um, photography. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I want to talk about that later. Yeah, for sure. But music. Um, that's probably the root of me. Okay. Is sound. Okay. Sound is from being a small boy. It's sound. What was it that as that tickled your small boy ears? That sounds so weird. I'm sorry. Well, that's strange. <laughs> what kind of show are we doing here? What? what Did we just what, walk in what, the temple? <laughs> what? A- <laughs> um. Yeah. So my, I grew up. My parents were were probably post hippie, late uh, mid sixties, early seventies. I was born seventy seven, so um, dad's a huge Rolling Stone fan and Beatles fan, of course. Everybody was. My mom loves Fleetwood Mac, The Who. Yeah. So growing up, that's what I heard. Played all the time. There was always music playing in the house, in the car, whatever. Um, even when they got a divorce, um, 
my mom and stepdad still Saturday morning, mom cleans the house. She puts on a, a record mm. and, you know, it was from Fleetwood Mac or, uh, my dad would throw country on there. Okay. You know, John Denver, Ronnie right. Millsap along those, you know, old country stuff. Yeah. And my grandparents, even going all the way back to them, we would go on family trips and in a motorhome, and you'd be blaring uh, Dolly Parton and Willie Nelson. Yeah. And so music was always there. And once I got old enough to figure out how to use my parents' giant combo turntable tape deck, eight track machine. Yeah. Like console or something? Or it wasn't a console, it was like a, a Montgomery Ward, probably. Two foot tall by two foot wide. It had a record player on top, eight track in the middle. Oh, wow. Two tape decks, and then an AM, FM radio. Once I figured out how all that worked, well, then my evenings were spent headphones in, just playing around. I would play yeah. around the radio, go up and down the dial, figure out where things were, figure out what I liked. I'd throw build mixtapes. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Like like eight-year-old mixtapes. You know, like, I, like I'm eight years old, and I'm... My mixtapes were, I'm going to start recording on this station and I'm going to spin the dial. And it, wherever it ends up, that's the next thing. And then I'm going to spin it back this way and it's going to go back this way. And I would play those for my friends because I thought they were cool. And they all looked at me like I'm an idiot. And I, That's art, bro. Yeah. Like, that's art, you know? <laughs> I just like noise and having fun yeah, with that. Yeah. And, you know, gradually you figure out the type of music you like. And a lot of that is the influence of school and friends you're hanging out with. And like that, I was into a lot of really crappy top 40 music there. Mm. Like what? Young. Like what? Um, Early Madonna. Paul Abdul. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Wham. George Michael. You know, the. It's the really poppy. Like when pop really broke, you know. Um, in the early days, uh, I was sitting there thinking today, I, f what the last, the last pop record I either bought or taped ever, because I don't think I've ever bought another one, um, was either MC Hammer, please Hammer, don't hurt him. Oh, wow. Or Madonna, the Immaculate Collection. All right. That was it. Oh, Michael Jackson. Yeah, sure, that. sure. Jackson, you I know, mean, all yeah. that stuff. Anything that was being played on Top 40. And then you got the new kids and yeah, um, <laughs> the crap I hated, the Michael Bolton, Phil Collins uh, stuff. I was kind of like, eh. Brian Adams, all that stuff. Gotcha. Throw that out. But yeah, it was, it was pop. And then when uh, I, me and my best friend would kind of feed off each other growing up. Mm -hmm. And he had an older brother. And his older brother was super audio nerd, tape nerd, CD nerd, would go just every mm -hmm. Friday, buy a, a grip full of CDs and come home and listen to them. And he threw a tape at us one day and was like, go listen to that. And it was, this was 88, 89, 89. Um, and it was Ministries, Minus Terrible Things Taste. Oh, wow. And I had li been listening to, up to that point, you know, hair metal. Okay. I had gotten into hair metal. New, you know, I was listening to Molly Crew, was listening right. to um uh Guns N' Roses. Okay. You know, a lot of the Sunset bands. 
and then even some of the new wave of British heavy metal. Okay. It's into that. And then um, in Metallica, of course, you know, the, the San Francisco scene, thrash scene. But he threw that tape at us and put it in first song, Thieves. And I was like, whoa, what is this? This is crazy. This is insane. And it kind of changed things to where I started going down the alternative path. And then shortly after I heard that, uh, we had MTV at the house. Mm-hmm. I don't want to brag. <laughs> One of those families that had cable, um, which was rare. I can't it was. It, by that time, it still was rare. Like It, most it was rare, and I don't know why my mom and dad got it. I don't know. It's We couldn't really afford it, so I don't know why they got it. With the old set-top but, box and yeah. everything. But we had MTV, and one morning I was getting ready for school. It was shortly after listening to Mine is a Terrible Thing to Taste. And they had like a whole video popped up. Ah. And that, I was like, okay, these are now two bands that have blown my mind. What is going on in this world? <laughs> and where do I get a hold of more of this? And that kind of cemented me in going the alternative route to where I was buying, you know, Jane's Addiction, Ritual mm-hmm. Dale Bitchell was out at then. Um a little bit of hip hop in there because there was still some some public enemy mm-hmm. um in the nineties or in nineteen ninety. But then in in ninety one when the world changed. Yeah. And you know, I had my best friend's brother stood in line for us and purchased for both of us Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Wow. Um, this is when people used to line up outside of... Uh, yeah. Uh, what was that record store at the mall? Sam Goody? Mm. Whatever. Yeah, Sam Goody, yeah. And um, he bought them for us, and I listened to the hell out of those tapes until Nevermind came out. <laughs> and, you know, 90... There were so many good records that came out that year. Oh yeah, and but um, the five or six that stuck with me are Primus, Selling Seeds of Cheese, mm. Pearl Jam, Ten, Soundgarden, Bad Motor Finger, yep. Nirvana, Nevermind, um, The Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, Blood Sugar, yeah, and You um, Two, Octung Baby. Okay, yeah, that was a the way that album sounded when it came out blew my mind. And I had that year saw uh, U2 with the Pixies. Oh, and oh, wow. the Pixies, Trump Come On came out in 92, or mm-hmm. 1990 also. Those records were cement. That's still have them all. Wow. And still will go listen to yeah. all of those. How, what was, how old were you when all that happened? Ninety. Mm, 90- Seven, take away three, divide by <laughs> So I was 14. Man. 13, 14. Wow. That's like the sweet spot. That's like, yeah. that's like your most, like, sh- I don't know. I feel like that's when most people are so- super shaped by certain bands, whatever. I certainly was at that age. Like, yeah. That's what, uh, that was the foundation that molded me besides the industrial side of things because I kept mm. the industrial side going. Yeah. I was getting into, Front 242, KMFDL, Skinny Puppy, all that still. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the mainstream stuff that caught me was yeah. the alternative all stuff that, that came yeah. out and took over the world. 
And then I was like, oh, okay, look at this, look at this, look at this. It's not just metal anymore. It's just not hair yeah. anymore. And then shortly after that, a record came out, and I cannot remember. It was, I remember being a freshman in junior high. So my life went, I went to, Rich, I went to Richland. Okay. So you grew up junior in the, high. this area, the whole? I was born okay. in Arlington. Okay. And I've lived in this area my whole life. So and I went to Richland Junior High. And then my eighth grade year, they pushed, was it eighth grade or ninth grade? Ninth grade year. They pushed ninth grade to high school. Mm, mm, okay. And so you were the first class after that Yeah. Switch. Well, my family moved to Hearst. Okay. I was still going to Richland. Uh, school found out somehow. I have no idea how. And I had to start going to HEB school district, mm. which put me back down to Hearst Junior High because they oh, had wow. boosted back up. So now, ninth grade, Hearst Junior High, king of the school. And the next year, they pushed us up into high school. Mm. So I was never the youngest in high school. That's kind of cool. I never had to deal with that, except for two weeks at Richland. But um, when I moved to Hearst, that's when things kind of changed. Um, even my mom was like, you know, you're going to get new friends over here and it's going to be a new uh, circle and you're going to, you know, the clicks going to be different. You're just going to have to blend in. I walk into school with the, I don't remember at the time period I had, you know, Pearl Jam shirts and yeah. the big Nirvana uh, asterisk shirt and a Nine Inch Nail shirt. Yeah. I don't remember what I worked at war in the first day, but it was immediately like I found my pack. Mm. And that pack is still the people I talk to to this day. That's amazing. And um, that's a special thing. It worked out. And what was kind of weird was I was kind of with the dweeby nerdy pack in Richland, the tech nerds, you know, the, mm -hmm. the kids that got didn't really get picked on, but they're always pushed aside like our oh, computer club or whatever, gotcha. you know, playing your Nintendos and whatever, <laughs> not being Mr. Football or whatever. But when I got to Hearst, it was music based yeah and one of my friends handed me a tape over there that year of a band from nottingham england called fudge tunnel <laughs> and funny ass name but that tape i listened to it nonstop. it's the first sludge slow stoner stuff i've ever really heard okay and i was like oh my god this is amazing <laughs> and that changed everything i was like you can do this. You can make stuff. You can like basically just the song's going to be about a, you know, I'm going to detune the guitar down to a, and just make racket. And I was like, this is cool as shit, you know? Awesome. And, um, the lead singer of that teamed up with Max Cavalera and formed uh, nail bomb. Okay. And fudge tunnel did one us tour. I think saw them. Wow. Um, with Sepultura. Damn. And that was another album that came out in 91 was Sepultura Rise, which was like after listening to Arise and then growing up being scared of Metallica and Iron Maiden and Ozzy and all that because they're evil. <laughs> That's the religion speaking too. Getting to Sepultura Rise and you're like, this stuff's slow. <laughs> that Metallica stuff doesn't even hold yeah. up to this. Yeah, man. Jeez Louise. But that was the golden time. That's when everything started melding and i was 
at the same time, my my best friend got a bass, and I would always he'd always just leave it sitting on the wall, so I'd always start messing around on it. There you go. And then my dad gave me a uh, Electra uh, four string that was a SG body. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I started really playing, you know, figuring things out and where stuff was and reading tablature, trying to figure out. I got, went to Guitar Center, got a starter beginner book and was like, okay, here's where notes are. Nice. Um, Never taking a lesson ever. You know, you just kind of figure it out once you, once you know. And then, you know, as I got older, I figured out, oh, here's theory and here's Pythagorean theory and here's how this works. And okay, now I got it all. But um, so you started off on bass. Is that the only instrument you play? You play keys too, right? I play keys. Okay. I play guitar. Did you self-taught on keys also? Um, no, I did have piano lessons when okay. I was a kid, when I was younger. So I know where stuff is there. Gotcha. And that also helped relate to bass. Yeah, certainly. So I kind of knew how uh, flats and sharps worked and everything. Yeah. As you're going through, and I was like, okay, um, chords. I didn't really figure out on a stringed instrument until I got a little older. Probably, you know, 17, 18, 19. Gotcha. Really started playing with the guitar. And I can't play drums. I can, mm. but it's, you know, four on the floor beats that are just cheesy. Uh, yeah. But I can program them. There you go. And I like programming. So how did you get into the, what, so, okay, we've talked about your instruments. <laughs> I suppose we can hear, maybe come back to maybe your first band and stuff, but like tech, where does all this come from? Where is this tech or uh engineer mindset or whatever where does that come from what's the deal with that so my my dad it's a it's a mix of everything because my i was already playing with apple twos in school and trying to get them to do weird things with the built-in sound engine they have which was very rudimentary and you know what eight bit i don't even know if it's eight bit I don't even know. Yeah. Um, and then I started working in high school my freshman year. I started working at Best Buy. Oh, wow. And I worked there until senior. Is that your first job? Uh, no, I worked Six Flags. Oh, wow. I was in control of rides at 16. <laughs> I was in control of a lot of people's lives at 16 <laughs> years old. All you had to do was go take some stupid little written test. <laughs> And turn it in to the master engineer there. They'd grade you and be like, all right, yeah, you can go work the shockwave and control it. Wow. At 16. <laughs> that was the first job I had. I had it for long enough to get free passes and uh, go to the after hours employee orgies that happened at the park. Oh, wow. That does happen or did at the time. <laughs> um, But. I started working at Best Buy and started just kind of, there were a couple of guys there that were older, um, just starting college, that were really geeking out over computer music and uh, early DAWs and early synths that were being made and MIDI routing hmm. and how to do this stuff. And I kind of, we all just kind of started hanging out and talking and figuring this stuff out. Because we we're, we're all music nerds. We were always in the music section, you know, digging through stuff or throwing stuff at each other. You heard this, you heard this, you heard this. And it was always, 
weird electronic music we were that was computer driven computer based yeah and um i've always been um interested in analog synthesizers anyway anything with buttons and knobs or chords yeah i love and um it goes back to that thing making sound yeah and creating sounds and you know it's kind of a pain in the ass with analog keyboards or like you know your big euro racks or moogs with the patches and everything because you may never find that sound yeah. again or <laughs> you may not ever be able to create it again so you yeah. better enjoy it while you have it um but it's fun and that's kind of where it all started. My parents, my when I worked at Best Buy, my dad bought a uh, Windows 95 machine. And then, so now I have it at home, and I've got a 14.4 dial-up modem that I can have fun with. Yeah. And you start playing around the internet, and you start learning more. So what, what was... Finding things. What do you remember about the early internet? Early internet. Um, was slow it, it blew my mind aol blew my mind a friend of mine had an aol account and we stayed up all night one night talking to in some chat room talked to some i guess they were girls they said they were girls yeah. <laughs> yeah. it could have been anything and trying to find there was a a playboy playmate me and him loved and we were trying to find pictures of her but it would load oh, yeah. line by line. Oh yeah. And then it'd be fuzzy. And then it would have to reload again to detail. And then it would reload again. And he'd be like, all right, let's save this. And you'd have like four photos on a floppy drive. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. The early internet was bad. But it was it was the Wild West. There was all it sorts was. of crazy stuff and cool stuff that people were putting up and thing trouble you could get into. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had a friend that was working with, uh, id software. Oh, wow. He was a friend of a friend and he brought over Quake. Oh, wow. And we sat down, we all, we actually, he didn't bring it over. We all went to his apartment and he's like, bring whatever computer you've got. And <laughs> land party, I got something to show you. And this was first land party I ever went to. Damn. And he goes, I got this game here. We're going to play it. And he put it in his Quake. And load it up, get going. I'm like, why do those Nails boxes have a Nine Inch Nails logo on them? And he's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, Trent Reznor did the soundtrack to this and the escape. And I was like, what? I was like, no. It's coming full circle. Holy crap. I was like, did you see him? Did you meet him? Did you? No, no. I didn't meet him or anything. But we played Quake. That's awesome. And it was wild land party at someone's house trying to get you know modems to talk to each other and go through and then shortly thereafter you know they gave away quake uh the first or when you bought the soundtrack i think the first oh wow five levels of quake were free on there and you could still multiplay with that wow and so we would multiplay through dial-up yeah at random times and that was early early internet and it was a pain in the ass Dude. to get a game going <laughs> it sucked I, the first game that i did dial-up 
games against people, I guess, 95, 96 or something like that was Command and Conquer. Oh, yeah. And I remember having that be calling ahead of time, like, all right, are you ready? Okay, you get your thing on. All right, I'm going to hang up and we're going to switch it to, <laughs> I think I had a 336. I don't even think I had 56K and like try to get that. <laughs> Did you ever have to do the, uh, all right, now tell your parents not to pick up the phone. Yes, exactly. Because we're going to play we're games. Gonna di- let's disconnect the game. Yeah, I don't want to, yeah. you know, I don't want to be in the middle and you'd be playing along and all of a sudden everything would freeze. And then it'd say, you know, all this DOS prompt box would come uh, and it'd say yeah. disconnect. You'd be like, and then <laughs> Fran would call you back. Um, my, my dad picked up the phone because he had to make a call. You could hear them through the speakers. You could hear them like oh, talking. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I forgot about that because it would always be like, hello, hello, exactly. hello, hello. And you could hear it through the modem. And you're like, what? Oh, man. But there would be this, sorry. Okay, let's start it back up, man. I'm sorry. My dad, he needed to use the phone real quick to call someone. Yep. And then eventually people just started getting second phone lines. Yeah. Like at some point there. That was pretty quick. My my dad worked my mom and dad both worked for the phone company. So oh, that that was, that uh, was nice. That was a, a birthday gift when I got, you know, I think I had my first one when I was like ten or eleven. And then we moved. And then I got another one when I was like thirteen, twelve or thirteen. Nice. So that's awesome. So when did you start playing in like with other people? I guess you were doing I guess so you're already making collaborative electronic music yeah sort of i in high school i was already kind of playing bass it was never really a a full set band it would be like this group of guys are going to get together in a garage and your name is going to be you know fuzzy kitten or something like that and then three of those guys would go do something else in another garage but it was never like a set band. You would just get gotcha. together for a day and you'd be a band for a day. And then someone would have a, a house party. And when the house party happened, then all those pieces of bands would just, someone would get up and start playing something. Everybody would come and fill in, you know. And it was kind of funny because around that time is when Sonic Youth was getting big and mm. Pavement mm. and Pavement, The Breeders and stuff like that so that's what i was playing with interesting these guys and every once in a while you'd break into a nirvana song but this was starting to get to the point to where like mm. never mind never mind's outplayed you mm. know let's push it down but it it never was fully a real band but like my senior year i think it, yeah it was my senior year there was a store in Hearst called CDX and me and three other guys actually played a show there. And then somehow from that got a show at trees. Oh, wow. It went, I'm, we're playing a CD store to let's go to trees. <laughs> That's pretty badass. And it, I couldn't tell you any of the songs. I have nothing from that. No tapes, no nothing. I think it wow. was in audio Supervox or something like that was the name of the band. It was, wild and then that cemented me i'm like all right i'm doing this for real yeah so started getting gear um starting it together with some other friends and my first like real steady gigging band was a band called mobius and we played quite a bit um when 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 was this uh, it was short, ninety five, ninety six. Okay, what was the what was the scene like around then? Like, what were you playing just in Fort Worth, or were you playing like DF? I guess Trees is Dallas. Like, where were 
so the scene back then, that time period, the scene was fantastic. Um, as far as going to local shows and stuff, I have very fond memories of seeing the Toadies start out and seeing, uh, yes, uh, there was a band called Adam's Farm that was great, seeing Hagfish start, seeing Brutal Juice start out. Wow. Course of Empire was kind of already together. Uh, Tripping Daisy was already pretty much rolling. Uh, Bob Goblin was in there. Uh, Stink Bug. Um, the scene was fun, but there wasn't a sound. It was all over the place. Mm. There was not a defined sound of this is what DFW music is. Um, Elm was still punk rock. Okay. I can see that. You had Last Beat Records over there uh, next to Trees and what is it, ZD's Pizza or whatever right there. Okay, yeah. That was Last Beat Records. Um, You had Trees. You had, was Curtain Club there? Dada was there. A lot of the big staples were up and running. Yeah. And it was right before what I call the first time everything went to hell (laughs) Um, in Elam. And it, it was great. Fort Worth was great. You had uh, Rec Room, uh, the Engine Room, the Impala, Axis, mm. uh, like we talked about before we started the show. Yeah, You had good places to play that were fun. You had national touring bands coming through that, you know, that CD, CDX store that we played at, um, the guy that owned it, I came in there one day, he knew me, you know, pretty well. And he'd always hold CDs back and be like, oh, man, you want to listen to this or here, you know, go give this one a listen. Mm. And he gave me that first corn disc. Oh, wow. And it was like, I don't know, a month later, they're playing Engine Room. <laughs> That's crazy. And the Deftones are playing Engine Room. You know, Mastodon, the first time they came through, played Rec Room. So, like, what? let me, what do you think is different between now and then in regards to like national bands come like where are the national bands playing in Fort Worth now? Like I guess we had Norm Norma Jean at Lola's. Yeah, Lola's Tulips is trying to pull it. Tulips, yeah, certainly. Um I guess they're still fresh or whatever. I but. think okay, back then you had you had a lot of bands. See, this is very weird and something that I kind of have an issue with with, with Fort Worth. Mm. The bands that I talked about playing Engine Room are metal bands. And that scene, mm. no one gives a shit about. Yeah. No one cares. But it is thriving and it's bigger than what anything mm. that is visible is doing. Yeah. Go look at how many records Leon Bridges has sold versus Power Trip. Yeah. August Burns Red. Yeah. Okay. You have these metal bands that are from here or have members from here that are huge mm-hmm. in the metal scene, but no one cares about. Uh, KTX just did a story about the the metal scene here in DFW. Interesting. And I didn't know that. that scene has been constant. Oh yeah, it's never been never ceasing for sure. No, and it's, it's the one scene that has always been straightforward and always been there, no matter what. No matter what, yeah. What was what the art was the article? No, it's good. Good, it's yeah, very good. I want to go check that out. It's good. Um, I can send you the link. Um, 
the you know there was always the Ridgely Metal Fest that were huge, where you had giant post hardcore bands coming through there playing the Ridgely mm-hmm. with all the local bands, and they were great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you still have a bunch of these local bands from the. I'd say it's more towards the 2000s still playing yeah. or got back together and are playing shows. And, but that scene, even though it's so neglected is probably the most constant and tight knit scene that there is. Yeah. But everybody laughs at it. Like, hey, it's a metal scene. Yeah, You go play yeah. the rail, you go play Tomcats, you mm-hmm. go play mm-hmm. the different Ridgely rooms, whatever, yeah. you know, any of these other smoky dive bars, um, yeah. Mavericks or, I mean, growl. Yeah. Growl had Turbid North out there, who's been around forever. Wow, yeah. Okay? Yeah. That parking lot it was insane. Packed. Yeah. Packed out. Pits happening. People up on the roof shooting down, Hell shooting yeah. video down on everything that was happening. That's badass. Huge crowds. Yeah. But do you hear about it? No. So let me ask you, this is, that, I, I totally agree with you. And I guess I'm, I'm going to continue on with like this current day thread. What do you, so I was having a conversation with, I don't remember who it was. Some of the guys, some of the local famous guys the other day about Arlington and it being maybe like a hotbed. Yeah, maybe like, what do you think? No, like, it is. It's a hotbed. <laughs> no, because you got everything going up over there. Yeah. You've got Abrams being rebuilt and you've got, you know, you still have, the division bars that have always been there, you know, shine yeah, they, and yeah. caves. Yeah. You got, they'll always be there. I miss playing those shows with Huffer, man. <laughs> those, and that's another place metal bands will go, but you never hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. And those shows are nuts. And they're fun. <laughs> they're nuts. They're packed. People are standing outside. Yeah. yeah. It's insanity, but you don't hear about them. Uh-uh. You know, let's worry about what, um, let's, I'll poke some, fun at my friends because it's okay you know this is not really fun but let's let's see what uh me and motor scooters doing this week yeah you know that's what like the weekly's focus is or yeah, whatever yeah. you try to go and talk to anthony mariani about cover the metal scene mm-hmm. no it's too cheesy it's too stupid no it's not it's huge it's gigantic yeah and you have big name bands here in that post hardcore realm that are selling millions of copies of records that are, that'll come through and play. What is it? Uh, this Friday? No, last Friday. Memphis may fire sold out house of blues. Yeah. You know, no, no talk. No, nothing. No. Yeah. No, that's it's, it's true. It's true. And yeah. it's, it's, I think Arlington is a hotbed. They're building that front street up area and that front street, Area is just divided by the train tracks that feeds to where Growl, yeah, and yeah. Division are and Mavericks right there. It's all kind of yeah, um, which like leads because there didn't used to be like it was at least from my perspective like it was just Division and like there wasn't a connecting area to like other other bars or other yeah. lo- locations. And I feel like now I don't know. And also just Arlington was at least playing in the Dallas music scene and in the Fort Worth music scene, the Denton music scene. Arlington was always just a afterthought it was like oh well maybe we could get a show at caves or something like that i do need to go back and look memphis may fire keep throwing that name out there they had two members from here or one did they i don't know to be honest i see you're throwing that i didn't even know i didn't even know 
Yeah. And that which which goes to your point, like the fact that I they, you know well a lot of these metal bands they do have uh, members all over the country. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, they do things remotely, and then they'll get together and rip stuff out. Yeah, and then go on tour. The one that I always think of is O Sleeper, but I know they're o not, Sleeper. They, they weren't nearly as big as August Burn Red. If you want to get into but the o numbers, but O Sleeper is big, giant. Yeah, they're huge. <laughs> is yeah, yeah, super huge, but uh, never talked about. Yeah, never talked about. There's yeah. a whole. Um, a Skylet Drive, right? From here? It sounds right. Golly. I keep forgetting. I remember hearing Sky Eats Airplane or some members of Sky Eats Airplane. Yeah, Sky Eats Airplane, all from Weatherford. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I mean, you're right. Like, that's, and if you want to think, if you want to think, uh, in, 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 uh, you know, in terms of markets, like, that, there's a market for that. Like yeah. there, there, there's people there. There's so I mean, coverage of that would there be been, there would be a reason to do coverage of that. Do you ever go you know? do shows like at Tomcat? Oh yeah, all the time. I mean, Raven Charter played there every time. Packed. Raven Charter played Fort Worth like the first five years, six years we were together. It was at Tomcats and packed. And here's the deal about Tom. Since we're talking about Tomcats, like, uh, it. Uh, I loved, I loved and hated that place. Like I loved I did it too. You know, it, it was a love hate relationship. I loved, I loved Rustin. God bless bless Rustin. I love Rustin too. so much, and it the Tomcats hands down whatever you have to say about it had the best sound. I think in oh, DF, yeah DFW, when they brought maybe. in the uh, what was that James. Abram Street Bar and James yeah. and his system in there yeah oh my god better than anywhere anywhere Any, anywhere anywhere. Like, Although you yeah. you know you'd get wild and you throw a guitar in the air and get stuck in the ceiling, <laughs> yeah, because you had a or a drop ceiling, or it would rain the night before and the ceiling would leak everywhere. Yeah, the and ceiling like... <laughs> would leak. But yeah, it would always crack me up because Rustin would be like, "All right, uh, you guys are playing Friday night. You're gonna play third, but I need you guys to load in at five thirty. I'm like, yes. Rustin, yeah. my half yeah. my band. There's three of us, yep, and the other two guys don't get off till like six o'clock. We'll be there. He's like. Well, I'll just go tell this to everybody, but yeah. you know, I trust yeah. you guys. And it's like <laughs> the five thirty load ins. <laughs> yep. Crack me Exa- up. Yeah, it's just trying to I don't know. It's I, I do remember the trees was always that way too. They were always, you yeah, know, but it's different. Early. Yeah. But it's, it's three links. Yeah. yeah. I need you to be here by three. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? what time are we playing? Eleven? Yep. Good God. Just hang out in Deep Ellum for a while. Except they're yeah. on the west side. There's nowhere to go. Like you're yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, on the west side. Stuck in the parking lot. Walk over to the rail. And then there's a <laughs> yeah. Smoke shop and a QT and yep. <laughs> an adult lingerie shop and that's about yep. it. Yep. But those shows were fun though. They were fantastic. They, they were fun. Like there were the ones where you had a, a bunch of people show up and those were hella nuts. But then you had the ones where not a lot of people showed up. And they were still fun. You still had a good time. You know, like I don't know. So I brought something. I want to get this out. Okay. Um, because there's something I want to look at. Let's do it. So I brought an old oh photo my album. Gosh. Okay, this is from me growing up. Wow. And the reason I brought it is because I was listening to the show you did with Jeremy. Yeah. Now we're talking about shows and um, best shows you've been to, you yeah. know, first concerts, all that. Well, I held on to a lot of my Holy shit. Wow. And these are all pretty much modern, but there is one in here I want to look at real quick. Oh, my gosh. Since we're on this topic. So, listener, what he has is appears to be like a 128 CD binder. That's what I <laughs> thought it was when he pulled it out. But it is a photo album, but it is full of it's, tickets. What is this? So, that's uh, that was at Ridgely. And look at the name of the bands on that. Fiesta de Furia. I think it was. May 16th. It doesn't have. Uh, Haste the Day. 
Sky eats airplane. Yeah. My children, my, oh, it's cut off. My, uh, uh, the word alive, living sacrifice, lower definition, Attila. Attila. Attila, Sleeping with Sirens, Broadway. Sleeping with Sirens, huge. Wow. Within chaos. I remember seeing Still, guys. And they're still doing yeah. stuff. Yeah. Trees above Met Mandalay, Maryland is dead, and many more. Wow. Wow. Those were the top bill of, this had to be, what, a 102? And most of these have wow. members that are local. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or roots that are local. So you're like. <laughs> wow. What's it Damn. MySpace. Greenlight. There is a MySpace. Oh, I forgot about Greenlight. Greenlight. I did too. I was just thinking that too. Oh, I was like, oh, I remember Greenlight. Yeah. <laughs> so I brought this for two things, for two reasons. Y'all were talking about that. That's awesome. And um, my. Jellyfish? Pink Floyd? One of my favorite Holy shows shit, I've ever been dude. to. Wow. Or probably, that's the number one show I've been to. Um, paid. Uh, this is the, the other reason 30 bucks. Wow. This is the last time Nirvana ever came. Wow. Through uh, uh, DFW, Dallas, played Fair Park Coliseum in 19 bucks, 1950. Wow. Jesus. What does that say? 92? Uh, Nirvana? 1993, December 5th, 93. Lollapalooza, 94. All the Lollapalooza. Like, wow. Guns and Roses Metallica, 20 bucks. Guns ticket. and Roses Metallica, 92, 93, 94. Sonic Youth, Helmet, Pantera. What does that one say? Uh, House of Pain. So, House of Pain. Oh, okay. wow. So I have seen, you were talking about this with Jeremy, if I remember correctly, about like his first show was Rage Against Machine. Yeah, that's what he was saying. I've seen Rage Against Machine every time they've come to DFW. Wow. Uh, every show. And this show right here, House of Pain, cost. $14 to get in at Deep Elm Live. Deep Elm Live. Do you Live. remember growing up, there was a weekend. Now, this is, how old were you, 93? I was nine. So do you remember the big scare of, uh, it's gangster initiation weekend, and if you see a car without their lights on, don't flash your brights. Yeah. If you do, they'll shoot you. That whole fear. Yeah, I do. I don't even know if that was ever even true. Yeah, right. But people, but that was like gangs in that, in 93, gang violence was yeah. like out of control. Through the, Especially through the roof. here, yeah. So we went down to Elm. Uh, I don't even know if I even told my mom we were going down to Elm <laughs> because that was that weekend. Wow. And this House of Pain show um, is the first show Raging Against Machine played and they opened. What? So they opened for House of Pain. We We got there. Watch this band called Rage Against Machine. The first album wasn't even out yet. It was like two weeks, three weeks out. Wow. And they played. And then House of Pain came on and we're like, screw this shit. We're out. Yeah. This is terrible. After what we just watched, House of Pain was terrible and left. Wow. Holy shit. I've only done that one other time. <laughs> you were like, I'm good. <laughs> and you're going to laugh at this. <laughs> was uh, Helmet. Mm -hmm. And uh, Primus, helmet open for Primus at wow. the Fair Park Band Shell, the old Band Shell. Helmet came out and ripped this setup, <sighs> destroyed. Were so amazing. And Primus came out, and we just got like a wet fart coming out. And that's <laughs> Les Claypool and the rest of the band. You're, I love that band, yeah. but it just did not hold a candle to what Helmet just put out. Oh man. 
that's a, that's crazy yeah wow this uh, is so fucking cool dude so i had a whole bunch more they got wet in one of our houses we oh. had a roof leak kind of like tomcats and it got a bunch wet uh world cup tickets from 94 wow but ministry jesus lizard oasis um what caught my eye on the last page was jellyfish you were at a jellyfish yeah, show jellyfish damn jellyfish and dada and dada Damn, dude. Edgefest 92. Pixies U2. Wow. Um, there was another. Yeah, it's all it's all Toadies. old. Um Alanis Morissette. The Metallica dude. Tarrant County Convention Center where they filmed cutting stunts. <laughs> um Pantera. Yeah, ton More of Panteras, Ozfest. Um, another one. This is one of my favorite shows. $16 to see Foo Fighters on the Color and Shape Tour in the Bronco Bowl. Holy shit. And got there super early before they even opened the Bronco Bowl doors. And there was no one else really there. So uh, me and was dating Jennifer at the time. We went to um, the arcade. And the entire band's in there playing video games. And this is with Franz and... I think Pat was with them. Holy shit. But it was that lineup, the Franz lineup, and sat down and raced cars with them. That is the amazing. entire band, Dave, Franz, Pat. Holy shit. They had those side by side race car things. Yeah. They had like eight of them. Like Daytona, all, whatever yeah. thing. And we all sat down and raced cars for a while. <sighs> wow. That is so fucking cool. Um, Did you like, what were they like? <laughs> like, it was like they were just bored wanting something to do. Yeah. And they found this arcade and were like, let's play a bunch of games. And no one knew who they were. No one knew who anybody was. I mean, you knew who Dave was from Nirvana. Sure. But Dave didn't look like Dave. Yeah. If I remember right, all his hair was cut off and super short. Mm. And he was just a gangly dude walking around there. They didn't look like rock stars. They looked like, you know, some guys just hanging out. Wanting to play some video games until the doors open so they go in and grab a beer and sit down yeah. and watch the band. That's what they look like. There was That's no amazing. nothing about them except I recognized all of them because I was like, holy crap. I miss the Bronco Bowl. The Bronco that Bowl. That venue was. is so awesome. That's my favorite venue here yeah. ever, 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 ever was the Bronco Bowl. So many good shows there. Yeah. And that was such. I don't know. A lot of people say it was a piece of crap, which it was the, before they closed it down and remodeled it, it was a piece of crap. Cause I saw a Pantera show there where they were so loud. Tiles were falling. Oh my God. Breaking. (laughs) Um, then they closed for, Oh, what? Six months, a year, remodeled it all and added the Canyon club and all that. Mm -hmm. And it became nice again. It was cool. But, I loved going there to see shows. That was such the perfect sitting environment. Yeah. If you're in that little lower horseshoe, and then you could just stand up there, and there was the higher seats, but the standing area and then the lower horseshoe were perfect. Yeah. Perfect viewing. And I I was kind of hoping House of Blues would have pulled that off. but Yeah, not quite. But yeah, that's... Uh, I've... So did you get any photos from any of these shows? When did you, when did you start taking photos? Like when did that? So that was the next you? Uh, incarnation of thing. I loved music, loved live music. You know, 
I've probably seen, and I'm not too proud of this, probably 3,000 shows, if you count local shows. Wow. If not more. Um, going all the way back to 92, 93. Because you used to get in uh, Mad Hatters, mm. uh, Underage, NC shows. <laughs> and there were a few other places you'd get in for live music in Dallas and Fort Worth. I'm not really proud of that because now that I look back, I'm like, that's a lot of money spent. So, but there's a lot of experiences that you have too, you know? Yeah. And I was kind of born with a camera in my hand. My dad was a photographer. Um, he did shoot bands on tour. Oh, okay. He shot Rush. Wow. Uh, the Stones. Um, did he have photos of that up in your household, like growing up or? No, they were all printed out and in boxes and were in, you know, wow. there was like maybe one or two frame there, but. Uh, him and my mom got a divorce when I was five. Okay. And so anytime I went and spent time with him was super rare. But when I did, you know, you'd see some stuff here and there. Gotcha. And um, he uh, he was a photographer, opened a photo lab, um, or helped open Pound's Photo Lab in Irving. Okay. And... um that became a big national spot for film development. Um, he'd always, NASA had a contract with him. He'd always print off pirated NASA <laughs> photos for me of stuff. That's pretty cool. And things. Yeah. Which now makes me wonder, was that all done in a studio or not? Maybe it was done there. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was fun. Uh, but he always had cameras around the house. He collected antique cameras and I was just always had a camera gifted to me or given to me like at Christmas or birthdays or whatever. Had a Polaroid forever, had a, a Fisher price 110 blue, you know, Wow. and then got a little Kodak um, all in one that I ran around with an Olympus all in one ran around with as a kid and just took pictures of everything. And when I was in school, I went to school for video. Okay. Uh, television video. Gotcha. All that stuff. Um, but then everything was changing at that time. Are we going to be, yeah. Uh, what high are we going to be high definition? Are we not? Are we going to be DVD? Are we not? Or was yeah. it DVD or XCD or XDVD or whatever? SVD? Something weird. Um, it was all those format changes, and I kind of got tired of it and wasn't going to buy a bunch of gear yeah. that was going to be outdated. I was like, let's let Sony and everybody <laughs> else figure this out. And while that happened, I started shooting digital i got my first digital slr uh, like okay this is a game changer now and started running around with it and went to hawaii shot um i wasn't the photographer for my sister-in-law's wedding but shot her wedding shot yeah uh played around i did shoot their it was a post-wedding engagement so whatever yeah, you know yeah. they're together yeah and just spent some time doing landscape stuff and fell in love with it and gradually just started building out my kit. And 
about that time, a good buddy of mine started working at the Observer mm. and brought me in. That's awesome. So we started shooting events that no one else wanted to shoot, which led to concerts, which then I was like, oh, yeah, which led to also cheerleaders. Yeah. Uh, Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, the Maverick dancers, which got my foot in there. And it's just, you know, you go to these shoots, you go to these things and you meet people and you talk to them and um, things just work their way out. Once they see you're serious, you're going to be around and you're doing stuff, you know, and that you're not like in the case of the cheerleaders, the dancers, you're not a perv or you're not just there trying to Mac on the cheerleaders or whatever. Yeah. Everything's cool. Opportunities start unfolding and that's basically how I got to where I am today. But the live music thing, loving music, concerts, I love shooting concerts. And it's a blast. It's a challenge and it's a blast all at the same time. And was rolling well and then COVID hit. Mm. And COVID shut everything down. It's like in that industry, everything hit a giant reset button. Damn. So it's in fact, the first show I've shot post-COVID is the Mastodon show gotcha. I lost. I shot two weeks ago. I was just seeing those pictures, I think, this morning, I think, is when I saw them. Yeah, that was, and it was weird trying to get back in the swing of things. They look great. I remember it well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. But I shot a ton of local stuff. You know, I love shooting yeah. local stuff, and I love uh, local bands and the local scene we have and the stuff that's coming out. There's a lot of fun bands around here. There really are. There really are. It's been it's it's really cool to kind of see how things have, are blossoming um after like COVID, I think. You know, we're I guess we're not through it all the way yet. Yeah, but, we're not hundred percent through it. And I you know, I, I had some friends that I've talked to since then that were really down. And I was like, man, at the time, you know, the spectacle um who i've been with for now i think five years four years five years we were writing and recording an album the entire Mm. lockdown period and it was extremely difficult we did it at at my house because the whole studio situation was weird and we weren't sure who was letting people in or what the rules were going to be or what's going on so we just kind of all talked about it we're like let's sit down and record it how we want and during that time period, I also had a bunch of friends like calling me friends from the show, from the podcast, mm-hmm. just calling in, checking in, talking. We chat, you know, on the phone for 30 minutes, an hour here or there. And a lot of the musicians were like really depressed about it because they couldn't play shows or whatever. Yeah. I was like, man, this is the time to be writing. Yeah. This is the time to be creating. So that way, when this does finish, boom, you come out of the gate swinging. Mm-hmm. And I think we're starting to see that. Yeah. And a lot of people are coming out with stuff that's pretty amazing. Pretty fun. I agree. So playing bass. I once eaten, you you wrote bass for that. You're writing mm-hmm. bass lines for the spectacle. Are you writing for Uncle Toasty too? Um, not yet. Okay. I came in to Uncle Toasty two weeks before their first show. Okay. Okay. Wow. Um, it was when I saw, I didn't know you were with the band. So that, I guess that explains why, because it wasn't until right before the show that I saw. Um, 
I felt bad. I was With, like, how did I not know? No. Dustin. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's public knowledge. Um, Rebecca was playing from Mean Motor Scooter, mm. was playing bass. Mm. And there were some issues. Um, don't want to get into the politics sure, or that's, anybody's that's stuff. But, sure. Um, some stuff happened, and then I got the call. It was gotcha. like, hey, gotcha. Um, you want to come audition? And I was like, sure, I'll come over there. You know, send me whatever uh, you got, and I'll come over there. And, you know, I knew in the back of my head that the first show was coming up. I was like, when's the first show? Mm. Two weeks out. Oh, okay. There you go. And it was two or three weeks out. Anyway, I think we did four practices beforehand. That's, that's fine. And um, the stuff that, that, Chase sent me was cool. I'd already heard most of it. Um, that he had played it for me like a year before. Gotcha. He's been sitting on this stuff forever, poor guy. And just it's, I know it's eating him up on the inside. <laughs> like finally, especially a show is you finally get it all out there for yeah. people to hear. Um, he released a single, released the, they did the video. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's kind of a taste, but. You've been sitting on this stuff forever and wondering, like, are people going to like it? You know? Yeah. And I can only, being in bands my whole life, or, you know, majority, when you write something, you're super excited to go out and play it in front of people. But when you have to sit on it. Yeah. I can't even imagine the anguish he went through. Absolutely. So um, he sent me the stuff, and I... Tapped it out real quick, wrote it all out. There you go. It was like the next day, went over there and practiced. Practice went smooth. Um, I like the stuff. Um, it is different from the spectacle. Um, yeah. I don't have to, you know, this is a weird way of saying it, but the spectacle, you have to be precise. Mm, yes. And on. And I'm a fan of noisy, loud, messy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um and when I went over there and practiced with them, I was like, oh, yeah, this feels good. It's simple. It's easy. Um, but it's fun. And it's in your yeah. face fun. And yeah. it's cool. And it, the whole purpose of it is to be loud and noisy and unforgiving. And I like that. Hell, yeah. Uh, spectacle's loud. But it's it's different. It's fast. Yeah. You know, it's more, I, I would say, uh, Uncle Toasty's like, Art rock, um, the sludge punks moniker that they got. I was kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. But yeah, you know, I mean, if that's where you want to put it, it's very artsy and fun. You know, spectacle is metal. Yeah. So it's it's just straight up. Yeah. You know, metal with a bunch of political stuff behind it. So hell yeah. Um, do you feel like your role in the band, even though you're playing bass in both bands, do you feel like you you feel a different role or approach i don't know does well i that, guess does that makes sense you know it took a, a while for coming into the spectacle to actually um feel like i was contributing and writing those guys have been together for like 13 years yeah so it was like i'm not gonna just come in here and you know start swinging my bass all over the place yeah. and being i was trying to keep things tight with what there was only one or two songs that were of the new stuff that was written, written. Mm. And, you know, I, I wanted to try to keep what they had there going. And of course the old stuff, that's easy. You just, 
you know, play along with whatever's written, change it up here and there as you want. Uncle Toasty, I haven't reached that point yet. Mm-hmm. Um, still too new and fresh. Sure. Um, I know I'm supposed to go in and record some stuff with my tone, my sound. Gotcha. My gear. Where does that, where's your tone come from? Like, what, how would you, to, you know, someone who's, who doesn't know, how would, how would you describe your tone? What are you going for? Who's your influence on that? Um, I would, I like fuzz, um, (laughs) bass, not distorted, not overdriven, but fuzzy. I want it to be clean. I want it to be clean and fuzzy, which is what dark glass does. Um, okay. There's a lot of uh, the pinnacle of like bass gear right now. And this may just be in my mind, but it's like where everybody's going is the dark glass sound. Yeah. You can be clean. You can have your good bright highs Mm -hmm. while still having a nice fuzzy low end. Yeah. Big boomy fuzzy low end. They have figured out the correct formula that like, you know, periphery is using. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there's a ton of them, I guess, you know, yeah. The, um, the guy from, uh, Opeth, the bass mm. player from Opeth um, had a full dark glass rig, top to bottom. There. Oh wow! Cabinet head. He had two of my heads up there. Interesting. And cabinet. Um, so you've got the whole head. You have the head. I have the head unit. Okay, I didn't know if it was just like the Alpha Omega, or do you have that too? Or? I have the Alpha Omega pedal, which now I need to get rid of because I don't need it. Oh, well, I might buy it from you. Okay. <laughs> um, I would have brought it over and let you play with it. Yeah, I would have brought it over and let you let you jack with it. I love that pedal. And that pedal is what made me go, okay, I need this power mm. on top of it only weighing five pounds versus my Ampeg head that weighs yeah, 80 pounds. Yeah. So I wanted that power and it hasn't disappointed in any of my rigs, in any of them. It's amazing. That's awesome. And the tone is is where I want it. And it's like a mixture of uh, uh, Chris from Muse uh throw troy from mastodon in there a little bit of um justin middle johnson when he was with uh the nine inch nails era the with teeth gotcha sound, yeah that sound that is bass. so gnarly dude that sounds great so that's what i like i like there being clarity but there's also that yeah. fuzz that goes along with it and that's what i want you know you listen to muse hysteria yeah that sound yeah. right there but that pedal he uses hasn't been made in 12 13 what, years and what it is he using 400 i didn't um, even know what he was using but yeah that it's an akai pedal called like something like the lunar lander the space lander okay something. Um, of course it's sense. something weird that was like japan only it's very weird if you can find one they're five six hundred bucks wow easily. wow but then you know dark glass comes along and it's like oh okay i got the right. i can create this same tone i want and I'll, i love it yeah i'll have to because that's how that's i feel as a bass player the same thing like that's kind of the type of tone that i like i like to have have a high uh, you want to hear the presence of the high end you want to hear the little bit of the percussion but still have a really good low end that has some grit to it you know well if you listen to uh uh rage against the machine yeah, uh, Timmy C is my guy. Yeah, That's, Evil yeah. Empire on 
Uh, the first record didn't have no. that much dirtiness. But he's when, playing an Ibanez, right? And then he switched to Ernie Ball, or was it vice I versa? I think so. No, he's Ernie Ball now he's because er yeah. he's got his signatures Ernie Ball. Okay, so yeah, that first record I think was an Ibanez. So when you get to Evil Empire, he gets dirty, but he's yeah. slapping and having fun. Yeah. With it. And that is like when I heard that younger, I was like, "That's badass! How do I do that?" Yeah. And go buy an Ibanez and then you realize oh he's not playing an Ibanez <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and then you it was it's been a constant hunt for the perfect fuzz yes. pedal and perfect I I've gone from boutique pedals well okay I've gone from I'm poor I'm going pawn shopping to buy whatever boss or DOD pedals <laughs> I can find and try to figure them out yep. to Okay, now I'm making money and I can buy a all-in-one unit, like a base pod, the line six yeah. base pod or something along those lines. And then you're like, well, this is dumb. I don't like the way the sound is. I don't really like the tone that this is making. It it does sound cheesy. You know, yep. that tone worked for about a three-year period. Yep. So you toss it out and you're like, okay, well, I guess I'll go back to stomp boxes. And yep. I'm actually making some pretty decent money now. So let's uh, go down this boutique road. Hmm. And then that's where everything changes. And it's like, oh, it's a wow. whole world there. Yeah. Yeah. This is the tone. Screw those boss days. Yeah. Although I still have like a boss or two on my board, but I'm still, so I'm, I, now that I'm playing guitar, I'm having to reintegrate, recalibrate, I guess, rather into pedals because I've never ever considered them for a guitar. And so I've been talking to Glenn about like, hey man, I need a delay pedal. Like, what do I even, what do the, like, I know what it does, but I don't know anything about all the varieties or variations or whatever. And he was recommending a boss pedal to me. And I was just like, like, really? I don't really. <laughs> so I have the, the two pedal delay station. Okay. The white uh, one? The white right, one. Okay. It's been on my bass board or in my bass rig yeah. for, at least 15 years. Wow. So I love you that. Like pedal. It. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love that pedal. Tap tempo. Okay. Or okay. if you have songs and you know the tempo, just dial just it in there in. and then have fun. And especially if you're working in a, like when I'm sitting around the studio or the temple or whatever, um, just coming up with stuff on my own and I've programmed out a drum beat and I have the BPM up there, just dial just it in there. And I okay. just start, and the delay rolls right with it, hits right with it. Okay. It, it's fun. That sounds pretty simple. Fun, fun times. It's very, you know, I get, um, I get kind of uh, post rock in there. Yeah. I get, uh, I'll, you know, this will destroy you and stuff. I'll be in there just jamming along. So on my own, making yeah. my own stuff up. That's along those lines. That sounds fun. Instrumental stuff. I've never messed with delay on bass. I don't know why. It, coming from Raven Charter it, as a six piece, it, there was no room for me to mess around with something like that. Well, yeah. And then you had two uh, guitars yeah. that had freaking PCs on stage. That's yeah. what they look like. <laughs> I mean, they did both of them have axe effects? No, no, just Brandon. Just Brandon. Just Brandon. Okay. Yeah. Daniel still was running a, a, a pedal board. No, Brand Daniel was running something else. He was like running the boss version of it of or something like effects? that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, you're right. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, no, neither of them were running like a legit pedal board. 
Huh. I remember coming to see you guys, and it's like, is that a PC tower yeah. up there? On this? <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, all lit up and all crazy. I forgot it. Yeah, yeah, Which, yeah. I forgot about that. That we fractal that. stuff yeah. is amazing. Yeah, it's totally great. Um, I was laughing at the Mastodon show. I was peeking at what everyone's using, and uh, Bill has a giant fractal board right there on his on stage with him and he's just going through it you know there you go it's like hell yeah yeah it was weird that when raven charter went on tour like tour quote unquote went on a leg of a tour went on three shows with cold and they didn't bring any amps this is like 2014 maybe yeah 2013 or 2014 but they didn't bring any amps it was like they were running all it all direct in through that stuff but back then like that stuff what didn't sound that great i mean they sounded good but it was just, I'd, we'd never seen that before. You know, we're like, wait, what? But it makes sense if you're touring and you're yeah. not even doing that. Yeah, it's like, why why carry all that weight? Well, I saw Periphery at Trees, and they had yeah. a, um, the guitarist, basically, if I remember right, they slaughtered a 810 cabinet. One guitarist had four speakers on one side. One guitarist wow. had four speakers on the other. Everything else was direct, but they're all fractal kids. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Fractal yeah. and dark glass. Yeah. Now that makes sense. Yeah. It's the way that you, I don't know, man. Like, I like having, I like having my cabinet on the stage. I like I hearing too. it. You know, I just like, I hey, do too. My monitors are great or whatever. You sweep me, play at a wedding, and we're all, you know, self contained and through the X32 and everything. And so it's like, I always, you know, bother Dale by saying, like, I'm sorry, dude. I'm bringing my cabinet, like, in addition to what we're doing, just because I, I have to, I have to feel that on stage. That's the whole reason. Like half of the fun of playing bass is just feeling, feeling the bass. Like that was. <laughs> we played. I played a show in San Antonio with Jesse Fry. Or it was Austin. One of them. One of those two. And during sound check, she's like, "Your bass too loud." It's like, "What do you mean it's too loud?" She's like, it's just, it's rattling everything. I can feel it all over the stage. Like, that's the that's point of the, being a bass player. That's the point. I want to feel it. Yes. And I'm with a, with a, uh, a BX-15, you know, a 115 <laughs> yeah, that's combo. Not, yeah. Because it's with her. They're yeah. going to direct me anyway. So I exactly. was like, all I need is enough for me. Yeah. She's like, this is way too much. And I was like, I barely caught it up. I need to yeah, feel not, it. Yeah. And yeah, I, we got it figured out during sound check and then during the show, it turned out it's like, I'm gonna go back down. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. Thought I'd get away with it. Kind of turned is, it a little more towards me. That, yeah. Like, like, yeah. That's, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I would probably do the same thing. I don't know if I could do it. Cause that's, it's like, I don't know. You, your body is, is a feedback. It's, it's one way yeah. that we know what's going on in the world or whatever. And so, like, I, I feel all right in the world, but I can feel my base. Uh, I don't know. I made the mistake at the Uncle Toasty show of having, I was on, the far left side of the mass stage. And so the so high hi hat side. Uh no. No. Oh the other side. Okay, other side. Okay. Floor tom side. And so I had two four ten cabinets and then the dark glass up there. And um Chase set both his orange amps like right beside me. And they killed me. And I couldn't oh, feel myself, man. so I had to keep going back. I was like, wow, I'm, is this really <laughs> is this really working? Is this? Those things are beefy too. Yeah. Yeah. And um I was like, oh well, just get through it. But like spectacle, I'll drag my eight ten refrigerator out hell there yeah. coughing and hell crank yeah. the hell out of that thing just so I can feel When are y'all playing it. next? 
the spectacle? Or? Yeah, I haven't. I want to see the spectacle. I haven't seen you guys in so long. We okay. So we got a new drummer. Oh, okay. Andy parted ways. Um, so we got a new drummer. We're working him out, gotcha. and we're hoping towards the beginning of the year. Sweet. We'll start playing some shows again, um, and hopefully we'll have our mixes back, um, and either have mastering done or you know stuff being printed uh by then too or shortly thereafter that'd be sweet need to check in and see where we are with that but that's that's the where we're sitting right there with them and then uncle toasty just announced a show for new year's okay at mass oh very cool um new year's eve at mass um i'd have to look up the lineup i don't have it off the top of my head but it's a good lineup it's gonna be a fun night yeah and then the next, from what I know, the next Uncle Toasty show won't be until the album release of March. Gotcha. Um, you know, the, the Me Motor Scooter guys are, are busy. Hmm. They've got some stuff. I think they've got a few shows this month in December, and I don't know what they're going to do after the beginning of the year. But uh, Chase wanted to kind of space it out and kind of keep some mystery behind it. Yeah. I think he's doing a good job of that. I think so too. He's done a hell of a job with the promotion for the last year. Yes. And I, you know, the next morning after we played that first show at Mass, I just thought about it all freaking night. I was like, man, I sent him a message the next morning. I was like, man, I I really hope you've got a smile on your face after what happened last night. Yeah. Because that place was bonkers. Yeah, it looked like it. Nuts. I wanted to be there so bad. I thought I had COVID. You I was did. I was waiting on results for a test, but I missed like the last three days of work, and I just didn't feel right. Like I wanted to go up there, but mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not. I don't want to be. You know, it was fun. It was really really good. And like the practices I had with them and working with them stuff, I was wondering how it would go over. Yeah, you know how how's the crowd going to accept this? You know, a bunch of the me motor scooter crowd's going to be around there, and it is different. Yeah. Um. And it went over great. Yeah. I mean, people went nuts for it. It was cool. That's so really, awesome. really cool. Really, really cool. So that's exciting. And I guess the plan was for me to fill in for that show and I guess the record release, but hmm. I want to stick around. Yeah. Awesome. Stick around. It's fun. It's it's not taxing. That's it's a, great. Yeah. And I think uh Chase has a great idea. I've been wanting to play with him for a while. We've always joked about doing a, a killing joke style band or covering killing joke for Halloween, but um, that'd be cool. I've I'm this is fun. This, yeah. It's fun playing with them. Hell yeah, it's man. great. Well, I'm I'm so glad to hear that that think things are going good and that you're doing all this new stuff. Is there anything else uh promotion wise you want to throw out there? Like does Jerry Jonestown got any any news coming up or um, I think this week is our 460th, 50th show. Wow. So congrats to you guys. Yeah. I don't know when you're going to put this out, but, uh, yeah, tomorrow when we do our show. It's 450th show. Um, we are working on, we're not really working. It's done. We just got to do the back end and digital end, but we've teamed up with, 817 coffee roasters. Oh, badass. To have a JJTM coffee blend. That's awesome. Um, that's roasted right here in Fort Worth. 
um, down at Low Key Tavern. All right. Uh, my buddy Velton, um, the concert photographer also. Uh, me and him have the website, The Audio Head, in which we put a bunch of the concerts we shoot locally oh, okay. awesome. and nationally. Uh, kind of a running music blog, um, but he uh, set up shop in the back of there with a giant coffee roaster and is is doing all this crazy wow. stuff with it. Um, he's got all these plans. He wants bands to play back there. It's a small room, so it's going to be chaos. Hell yeah. And he's got um, this awesome plan for local bands to do um, coffee blends that represent them. That sounds amazing. And kind of excited about that. Uh, when he started telling me about that, I was like, we can, we can do one for podcast. I mean, let's put it yeah, out Yeah, yeah. So um, we went through a tasting period of making sure things were right. And Matt and I tasted them. And I had a few other friends that are coffee connoisseurs taste it and that see what they so thought. Cool. And um, the bags are rolling out. That is exciting. Um, sold our first one a few weeks ago. Sold our first few of, yeah. a few weeks ago that were just kind of under the radar. Yeah. And uh, how do you get them? You can contact him right now. Okay. You can contact Belton or the 817 Coffee Roaster, and he'll um, put one together for you because it's all fresh. Gotcha. All fresh. So, um, or hop on his website. Right now, he's like, send me a message because what this is the back end I was talking about. They're building a separate page for us for just gotcha. the Jerry Jonestown Massacre blend. And I think he's going to do the same thing for the bands. But um, we've been waiting for the website to go live so that way it can be ordered straight off of there gotcha. and sent uh, through to him. But right now, if you want the blend, you can either go down to Low Key Tavern um, and pick one up or talk to him there. Um, he's there in the evening or go um, shoot uh, 817 Coffee Roasters a message on Instagram, Facebook. Gotcha. And I think his contact info's up there too. Okay. We'll so if you want to get one now, that's how you get it. But hopefully, um, I'm supposed to have him on the show tomorrow. Sweet. Okay. I haven't heard back yet because uh, he was hoping the site would be live tomorrow. Gotcha. So we'll see. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, this, we'll this will probably come out in January. So by then. Hopefully we'll, by we'll then have, it yeah. will be fully live. And Sweet. you can just go on. Uh, hopefully it's like 817 cost Coffee Roaster slash JJTM or something like that. Sweet. Well, we'll put whatever it is. We'll put the link in. For, okay. For the listeners and everything. Awesome. Yeah. Dude, so thanks. that's that's what I'm excited about. Just little piddly, stupid stuff. I think it's amazing. That is super. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna buy some. Like that sounds fantastic. I definitely. I'm. A, I'm a well, we got it. Yeah. Matt and I are aggravated. We've been trying to get a beer forever, <laughs> and no one will make a beer after us or for us. Just you know, a short little, short little run. We've been trying to get us a beer, and the me thinks a beard. Yeah, I think y'all y'all both deserve beers. I think yeah, it's, it's, it's a long no one will make long one. overdue. Maybe you should just make your own brewery. Maybe that's, I mean, it's just, there's that, so many. The, I know, right? That's, yeah. If I want to make are. anything, I want to make my own whiskey. Yeah, distillery. Yeah, I'll just distillery start distilling things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but then you got to wait around for like 10 years for it to be. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's and by then, point. I don't see doing a podcast for 20 years. <laughs> I mean, why not? I guess so. so okay. Before we, before we wrap up, we started with, with this. Let's, let's end with this. Is, okay. Is podcasting art? I don't know. It is 
okay. It's an art if you can keep it entertaining and the art of it is keeping it entertaining and keeping it um, interesting and delivering a quality product. If you're someone that is just throwing a microphone in the middle of the room and everybody's talking into it mm. and you, all you hear is room and it's, uh, that's horrible. Mm. Um, I can't listen to podcasts like that. But if you are actually, you know, spending the time like you have, <laughs> you've got mics, you've got headphones, you've got stands, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's talking into it. You can hear everything clearly. <laughs> um, and that's an art. And then just keeping it interesting, having interesting people around and on and you know yeah. uh, there's a lot of our shows that our guests haven't been interesting <laughs> and you get that feedback but you, there's an art to try like you just trying said, to keep to them try to keep it interesting right like you're working you know yeah. on your end of it I, to, out to make of, it happen i'm gonna be honest in eight and a half years i think there's been like two guests where it's like pulling teeth with them um Gonna, one of them was just smashed drunk before they got there. Well, that'll do it too. That'll do it. And I've definitely, by the end of some of your podcasts, been pretty drunk myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's when you get all the truth. Yeah. Exactly. See, everybody wonders what the secret is and why we go so long. You gotta let yeah. the whiskey kick in. Yeah. And then you start getting the good stories. Yeah. The second half is really when things yeah. definitely start getting loose. That's They're funny. like, why do you wait so forever to talk to your guest or get into what your guests do? You gotta let the whiskey kick in. It's Come a, on. It's a sneaky tactic. It is. Because <laughs> then, I mean, there's been times we've gotten some stories out of people who are like, oh, whoa. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But you roll with it. You, know, you nice. roll with it. You guys Just do it. Y'all got some magic for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on, man. Hey. I really appreciate you t- giving the time. This has been a great I love what you're doing with this. I appreciate it. And I love...